Okay, so today we're going to be reviewing carbohydrates, lipids, proteins, and enzymatic functions. Um, just a quick overview of some of the stuff that didn't go well on the last test. Uh, stereospecific can be uh, one compound and one reaction, one compound and one bond, one reaction and one bond, or any combination of stereospecificity that goes along with those. Defining enzymatic processes, an oxidoreductase is any change in hydrogen or oxygen in the final product, so that can be removing a hydrogen, adding an oxygen, vice versa. Transferous is when a portion of the product gets moved from its original location on the substrate. Uh, ADP, ATPase is a good example of that, hexokinase, good example. Hydrolysis is the addition or subtraction of H2O, and you'll see it because you're going to miss it in the products. So if you're taking away oxygen, you're going to see it in the product. If you're adding oxygen, you're going to see it in the product. Lyase is splitting apart. Ligase is combining. Isomerase is a cis-to-trans swap. It always goes substrate to enzyme to product. The enzyme concentration is usually consistent. So when you're looking at the graphs, hold enzymatic concentrations consistent. The substrate will be in excess unless the question tells you it's not. So you're going to expect to see the substrate decreasing, the product increasing, and the rate constant. Because the rate is based on the number of enzymes that you've got, your enzyme concentration. Uh, allosteric is a non-competitive inhibitor. It just can be with a positive or negative, negative modulation. Regulator and the active site, both inhibition and activation. Um, depending on which type of substrate and enzyme you're working with. The product inhibits a reaction by competitive or non-competitive. It's a feedback control, so A to B to D. If D comes back and regulates E1 on the A to B reaction, you have a feedback control mechanism. Protein modification is usually reversible unless it impacts the primary structure. Okay. Carbohydrates are polyhydroxyl aldehyde or polyhydroxyl ketones or a substance that gives these compounds on hydrolysis. Uh, the example is a fructose molecule. You can tell it's fructose because it is a ketose, which is unusual. It's a hexase. It's got D-stereochemistry, meaning that on carbon-5, the hydroxy group is pointing to the right. D like derecho. Um, and it has those matching CH2OH enzymes at carbon 1 and carbon 6. We studied four different types of carbohydrates. We studied an aldatol, a uronic acid, an amino sugar, and an aldonic acid. An aldatol looks like fructose, so it's got that CH2OH on either side, top and bottom, and it's usually a hexase. Uronic acid has a CHO, uh, so that's C double bond OH, at the top of the molecule and then an acid at the bottom. So it's an aldose with an acid, even though there's one that's called aldonic acid. We'll just ignore that. So uronic acid is, a, is an, alde an aldehyde plus an acid, um, usually a hexase. An amino sugar is a CHO and a CH2OH at carbons 1 and carbon 6. And then at carbon 2, you have that nice amino group, so it's real easy. So that's an amino sugar. And then the aldonic acid is an ion, so the CO is COO negative, so it's an ion, 
um, with that CH2OH sugar at the bottom. So that one is an aldehyde sugar ionic type, whereas uronic acid is uh, a non-ion at the top. Okay, so just review, you've got an aldol, which looks a lot like fructose, you've got a uronic acid, which is an aldehyde, and an acid, non-ionic type. You've got the amino sugar, which is that real easy NH2 on carbon 2, and then the aldonic acid, which is the ionic acid version of an aldehyde plus a sugar. Okay, so the next one, review of an acetyl. An acetyl bond is a glycosidic bond, so that's the one that's going to be linking branches together when you have like molecules tied together, becoming a disaccharide. The glycosidic bond that connects carbon, the alpha carbon to anything else is going to be your acetyl. So it's like making a whole bond out of the acetyl. Hemiacetyl is going to be just closing the chain rings. So like you know, sugars can go open and closed constantly. When they close into a ring, that's just the hemiacetyl, and they're almost to an acetyl bond, which is just completing that with the ester and going to a disaccharide and, or polysaccharide. Cellulose is a straight chain 1 to 4 B, beta. So the reason that's important is because cellulose is not digestible by humans and straight chain. So you can remember straight chain 1 4 bonds, B is in beta, and that's for plants only. So then anything that's an A or an alpha is going to be digestible by humans, and anything that has a 1,6 in addition to their 1,4 glycosidic bond um, is going to be branched. So anything branched has a 1 to 4 and 1 to 6, and anything that we would be able to eat or process is going to be alpha. So uh, some general molecular formulas for carbohydrates: CnH2NON. We memorized glucose, galactose, fructose, and ribose. Ribose is easy because it's the pentose one. Fructose is easy because it's the symmetrical one, sort of. It's got the CH2OH at either end of the Fischer diagram, and then it's easy because it's got that ketose, which is unusual. Uh, galactose and glucose look really, really, really similar. The only difference is that glucose has two, H, has two OH groups at uh, positions 4 and 5, carbons 4 and 5, whereas galactose has it on positions 3 and 4. So just grab some hydroxies and stick them on the other side to the left, and they'll be at positions 3 and 4. Um, moving from a Fischer diagram to a closed loop, just remember to count out your carbons. So label your carbon on the Fischer diagram, and then make sure you label it out on the um, diagrams. So that way, you're going to have to be told beta or alpha formation. Um, and if you keep your carbon straight, it should be fine. The only difference is on like carbon 4 or carbon 5, if the hydroxy group, if it's tying into that carbon CH2OH, you're not going to see the OH in the actual pentose or hexose, because remember, you're pulling that carbon 4 or carbon 5 out of the Fischer diagram, and you're making it that ester chain to make it a... Um, hexagon or a pentagon, right? So so just that that last carbon is the one that actually connects the ring, so you don't have to put it anywhere in the ring. You just have to make an ex the O um, ester bond. So don't write that out, because you're, you're writing it twice right now. Uh, monosaccharides making up lactose or glucose and galactose, great. Sucrose is composed of glucose and fructose. 
Now let's talk about some reactions. So a carbohydrate with an oxidizing agent under basic conditions will obviously um, give you an acid, right? So it becomes, instead of a COH, C double bond OH, it becomes COOH, and the, you know, you donate, you essentially get an oxygen um, because it's an oxygen oxidizing agent, right? So it's going to go to carbon-1. So carbon-1 gets an oxygen because it's an oxidizing agent under basic conditions, and you end up with an acid COOH at carbon-1 and a sugar CH2OH uh, at the bottom of the chain. Next one, enzyme-catalyzed reaction. Very, very similar. The only difference is that the COOH at the top doesn't, doesn't change. So you still have COOH at the top, but now at the bottom where that CH2OH was, now you're going to have the COOH. So that's the enzyme catalyzed oxidation. So instead of just adding an oxygen onto the part that could actually accept it, now it's being split apart at the bottom. So, easy. Uh, sodium bromate or bromate, I don't know what it is, NaBH4. Um, that one's real easy. You know you're going to be adding a hydrogen. So you're going to take two hydrogens and you're going to stick them on the top so it becomes CH2OH uh, and then the rest of it is going to become water probably. But we don't need to talk about that. So just remember two of those hydrogens get tacked onto the top of the Fischer diagram making it CH2OH. Lipid. Lipid is a heterogeneous class of naturally occurring organic compounds classified together on the basis of common solubility in organic or nonpolar solvents. Glycolipids are a lipid attached to a, a carbohydrate. Androgen is the male sex hormone. Estrogens are the female sex hormones. Mineral corticoids are hormones that enhance sodium and chlorine ion reabsorption by the kidney and increases potassium loss. Glucocorticoid is Glucocorticoids regulate metabolism of carbohydrates and increase glucose or glycogen concentrations in the body, decreasing inflammation. Three major roles of lipids, energy storage, components of cell membranes, chemical messengers, including hormones and secondary messengers. Triglycerides are typically found in adipose tissue in the body. Uh, let's see, why do triglycerides with mainly saturated fatty acid chains have higher melting points than triglycerides with unsaturated fatty acids? Well, saturated fatty acids stack neatly, creating a more crystalline structure with higher melting points. And remember, a triglyceride is going to be a glycerol backbone with some nice oxygens and then three fatty acids, esters coming off of that, three fatty acids coming off the ester. So, carbon backbone, a lovely little oxygen in there, uh, double bonded to oxygen in the next carbon, and then fatty acid chains. Phosphoglycerides are three carbons with their, well, two fatty acids, a glycerol, and a phosphate ester with an alcohol, either choline, serine, ethanolanamine, or inositol. inositol. Uh, sphingosine, that's CH3, CH2, 12, CH, double bonded CH to CH to OH to CH to NH2 to CH2OH. Um, is the primary component in sphingomyelin and cerebrocerides. So sphingomyelin is found in the myelin sheath of nerve cells and cerebrocytes are found in the myelin sheath of nerve cells and cell membranes in the brain. Steroid structure is composed of four chains. 
So three hex aces and then one pentose or pentase. Two main functions of cholesterol are components of cell membranes and precursors for hormones and bile salts. Bile salts count. They know you put something different down. They still count. So hormones and bile salts. How is cholesterol transported from the liver to the peripheral tissues? It leaves the liver as very low density lipoproteins composed of cholesterol esters and triglycerides. As the triglycerides are deposited in fat cells, the, LD, the VLDL becomes LDL. The LDL binds to specific receptors on the cell surface and enters the cell where it's broken down into cholesterol and its esters. What is meant by good versus bad cholesterol? LDL is termed bad because higher levels indicate that not enough of it is being absorbed into the cells and out of the serum. Over time, the cholesterol oozes out of the LDL complex where it can accumulate on blood vessel walls, causing atherosclerosis. HDL is good because it picks up the free cholesterol, not the LDL, the free cholesterol, and transports it to the liver for excretion. What are the two main male sex hormones and functions? Testosterone and androsterone, they both provide secondary sexual characteristics. What are the two main female hormones and their functions? Uh, estradiol and progesterone, they develop secondary sexual characteristics and control the menstrual cycle. What is the function of aldosterone? A mineral corticoid that enhances sodium and chlorine reabsorption and increases potassium discharge from the kidneys. What are the two main glucocorticoids and their functions? Cortisone and cortisol both increase glucose and glycogen levels and fight inflammation. What are the two main functions of bile salts and where, does, where are they synthesized and stored? Elimination route for cholesterol, and they emulsify dietary fats and aid in the absorption in, within the intestines. They're synthesized in the liver and stored in the gallbladder. What processes, what precursors do prostaglandins, thromboxins, and leukotrienes synthesize from? Arachnidonic acid, which is a 20-carbon unsaturated fatty acid. What are the functions of thromboxins in blood? They induce platelet aggregation and vessel constriction. Synthesis of leukotrienes can cause what effect on muscle tissue? Can cause muscle contractions. Both prostaglandins and leukotrienes cause what physiological response at an injury site? Inflammation. Proteins. List eight functions of proteins in the body. Structure. Collagen, elastin, proteoglycans. B. Catalysts. Enzymes. C. Movement. Myosin and actin. D. Transport, such as hemoglobin. E. Hormones, including insulin and growth hormone. F. Protection, antibodies and fibrogen. G. Storage, casein and ferritin. H. Regulation, the regulation of gene expression. What three substances make up the majority of connective tissue? Collagen, elastin, and proteoglycans. What five places in the body is collagen found? Tendons, bone, skin fiber, cartilage, and blood vessels. Collagen is the most abundant protein in the body. Elastin is found in ligaments, and proteoglycans are found in the extracellular matrix. Alpha-keratins are found in the hair, skin, and much of the hair, nails, and much of the outer skin. What are the two shapes or types of protein and the structures of each? Fibrous are rope-like and linear, while its globular are circular and compact. Zwitter ion, a molecular ion having separate positive and negatively charged groups. Isoelectric point, the pH at which the majority of a, 
compound in solution has no net charge. Okay, so remember this one, at the isoelectric point, you have to take the individual R group charge and add up like positives versus minus. If there are more positives versus negatives, you're going to have to add additional OH negative to be able to bump up the basicity. So the more positive it is, the higher the number is going to be. It's going to be like a basic, its isoelectric point is going to be a high pH. The lower the number is, the more negatives you have, um, the lower the isoelectric point is going to be. So when you get a problem, add up all of the R group's charges, and then if there's more positive than negative, you know it's going to be above the 7 on pH scale or below if it's negative. And then in order to balance that out, you're going to have to add H's or OH negative to be able to bring the isoelectric point up or down, which is what indicates whether it's basic or acidic. Peptide bond. The amide bond between the carbonyl carbon of one amino acid and the nitrogen atom of the second amino acid. Okay, so when we're completing the reaction, we're going to assume that we have water as our acid and it's donating either H or OH negative. So we start off with H3N plus to CH2 to C double bond OOH. That's at pH 2, right? Because you can tell because it's got the three hydrogens, the nitrogen, and a positive. And that's going to be provided by the H3O plus. The main Zwitter ion, the Zwitter ion that we're going to be working with is H3N plus to CH2 to C double bond O, O negative. So that's at its isoelectric point. And if you add OH negative, right, so we're making it more basic, you're going to get H2N CH2 C double bond O, O negative at pH 10 because see it's accepting, yeah, I guess, this is donating an H. I don't like those questions, by the way. I think they're dumb. Um, primary structure is the sequence of amino acids in a polypeptide chain. Secondary structure, conformations of amino acids in a localized region of a polypeptide chain. The tertiary structure, well, and that just means alpha, beta, sheet, uh, triple carb, uh, triple helix, whatever. Tertiary structure is the overall conformation of a polypeptide chain, so that's the combination of alpha and beta sheets. And then the quaternary structure is the arrangement of two or more polypeptide chains into a non-covalently bonded aggregation. What is the main repeating group of a protein? Well, it's NH to CH to C double bond O, and that middle CH has an R group attached to it, and that can be repeated n number of times. The R group or the side chain determines the shape, properties, and the function. What is a glycoprotein? A protein to which one or more carbohydrate units are bonded. Denaturation. The process destroying the native conformation of a protein by chemical or physical means, and it can disrupt secondary, tertiary, and quaternary structure. If it doesn't have an overall charge, it will fall out of solution. So, there you go. What are the three secondary structures? Alpha helix, beta sheet, triple helix. An alpha helix is most commonly right-handed. Describe the positions of the carbonyl or C double O groups and the amine hydrogens, NH, in the alpha helix. The amine groups point in the direction of the spiral, almost parallel with the helix and the carbonyl groups, pointing in the opposite direction. Describe the positions of the R groups in an alpha helix. 
our groups are perpendicular to the axis of the helix. What interaction holds a protein in the alpha helix form? Hydrogen bonding. Describe the positions of, a carbon, of the carbonyl groups and the amide groups in the beta pleated sheet. The carbonyl and amine, amine groups of peptide bonds from adjacent chains point towards each other and are in the same plane so that hydrogen bonding is possible between them. Describe the positions of the R group in the beta pleated sheet. R groups on any one chain alternate, first above, then below. Hydrogen bonds hold a protein in a beta, sheet, beta pleated sheet. Describe the structure of collagen. Three helical polypeptide chains wrapped around each other in a rope-like twist to form a triple helix called a tropocollagen. What three amino acids make up the majority of collagen? Proline, hydroxyproline, and glycine. What four interactions hold the protein in its tertiary structure? They can be covalent bonds, salt bridges, hydrogen bonding, or hydrophobic interactions. And that salt bridge tends to be cysteine, cytosine, whatever it is, the C1. Enzymes. Stereospecific enzyme are enzymes that catalyze the reaction of a particular stereoisomer. Substrate. The compound or compounds whose reaction an enzyme catalyzes. Cofactor, a non-protein portion of an enzyme involved in a chemical reaction. It may be metal or organic. Coenzyme, the organic cofactor, which is not a protein. Apoenzyme, the protein part of an enzyme. Active site, specific portion of an enzyme to which a substrate binds during a reaction. Activation, any proce process that initiates or increases enzymatic action. Inhibition, any process that makes an enzyme less active or inactive. Competitive inhibitor, a substance that binds to the active site of an enzyme preventing the binding of a substrate. Non-competitive inhibitor, any substance that binds to a protein, to a portion of the enzyme other than the active site and inhibits activity. Enzyme activity, a measure of how a reaction rate is increased in the presence of an enzyme catalyst from the absence of an enzyme catalyst. Six major groups or classifications of enzymes include oxidoreductase, transferase, hydrolase, lyase, isomerase, and ligase. An enzyme is composed of a protein portion called the apoenzyme, a non-protein portion cofactor, which may be a metal, or an organic enzyme called a coenzyme. There are four factors of enzyme activity. When enzyme concentration is held constant with a constant reaction rate, it's linear. When substrate competition occurs, the curve flattens to like a logarithmic shape, limiting the reaction rate. For temperature, it looks like a parabola, so the reaction rate increases and then decreases. Under pH, increasing pH conditions, the reaction rate um, looks like a bell curve, a little one very narrow range. Describe the difference between the lock and key model and the induced fit model. In lock and key, the enzyme and substrates are rigid 3D models. They must fit together exactly. The induced fit is a flexible model where the active site may change to accommodate the substrate like a, like a hand going into a glove. What five amino acids are generally found in the enzyme active sites? Glutamic acid, aspartic acid, arginine, histidine, and cysteine. Cysteine. What is unique about four or five of these enzymes? They are acidic or basic side groups. Explain the difference between competitive and non-competitive inhibition. 
A competitive inhibitor binds to the active site of the enzyme, thus preventing the binding of a substrate. A non-competitive inhibitor binds to a portion of the enzyme other than the active site and inhibits the activity of the enzyme by changing the shape of the binding site. So you can see this in the overall graph where with no inhibitor, the max rate is a gentle curve hitting that max rate point. The addition of a competitive inhibitor, the curve flattens. So as substrate concentration increases, the reaction rate doesn't increase at the same speed that it would with no inhibition, but it does reach its max rate. Um, and finally, for non-competitive inhibition, the curve is very flat. So as substrate concentration increases, the reaction rate is significantly lower than the maximum rate. Feedback control, an enzyme regulation process where the product of a series of enzyme-catalyzed reactions inhibits an earlier reaction in the sequence. Proenzyme, or zymogen, an inactive form of enzyme that must have part of its polypeptide chain cleaved before it becomes active. Allosterism, a type of enzyme regulation based on an event occurring on the enzyme at a place other than that of its active site that creates a change in the active site. Allosteric enzyme, an enzyme regulated by allosteric effect. Negative modulation, the inhibition of an allosteric enzyme. Positive modulation, stimulation of an allosteric enzyme. Regulator, substances that bind to an allosteric enzyme. Isoenzyme, two or more enzymes that differ in primary structure but each catalyze the same reaction. Protein modification, the process of affecting enzymatic activity by covalently modifying the enzyme structure. Apoenzyme or zyme, oops, a proenzyme or zymogen must have part of its polypeptide chain cleaved before it can become active. How does a regulator work? One, the regulator binds to an allosteric enzyme at other than the active site. Two, the active binding changes the shape of the active site. Three, the regulator may act as an inhibitor of negative modulation or stimulator with positive modulation. If a monosaccharide is a pentose, what, does, what number of rings would be appropriate to use in drawing it as a ring? Five, right? So you're not going to use a, a hexose, you're going to use a pentose. So not six carbons, five carbons. Um, a monosaccharide can be classified by priority functional group, the number of carbons, and its stereochemistry. So remember, if it has an aldehyde on its first carbon, it's an aldose. The number of carbons indicates whether it's a pentose or a hexose. And finally, the stereochemistry refers to the fifth carbon and whether its OH group points to the left or to the right. So if it's to the left, it's an L. If it's to the right, it's a D. Um, so ketose, just remember on carbon 2, or there's that, that's your ketose. Count the number of carbons, and then look at the direction that the OH is pointing. When you're drawing a beta structure of the closed ring, OH in the beta position is going to be pointing with your carbon 5 or your carbon 6 group. So both on the same side. right? So if the CH2OH carbon 5 or carbon 6 is pointing up, and you need it in the beta structure, then you know that you're going to be using um, the OH on carbon 1 in the up position. If you want it in the alpha position, put it down. And that can be for any position, first, second, third, fourth, what? It doesn't matter. So B right down, so if you see it on the Fisher diagram to the right, you know that it's going to be down. If you see it to the left, it's left up to you, so it's going to be up. And the beta position 
indicates that the CH2OH and your first carbonyl, your carbon 1 OH group is going to be pointing in the same direction, both together. Um, so aldehyde When an aldose monosaccharide is in the open chain form, carbon 1 is going to be an aldehyde, so that's C-double-O-H. When the ring closes, carbon 1 becomes a hemiacetal to close the ring. When the closed ring becomes attached to another ring through a glycosidic linkage or bond, carbon 1 changes and becomes the acetal. So it goes from aldehyde to close the ring to hemiacetal to become a disaccharide as an acetal. The glycosidic bond refers only to carbon 1. If you're looking at a 1,4 bond, ignore the 4 carbon. You just care about the 1 bond to be able to indicate whether it's in the beta or the alpha position. So remember alpha is when the CH2COH is in opposing directions. Um, and beta is when they're both on the same side. And again, glycosidic bond is only on the carbonyl carbon, carbon 1. So it's that carbon and the oxygen linking two monosaccharides. Let's see. If a monosaccharide was a hexose, how many hydrogens would be in the molecule? Um, you know it's going to be 2N, so you're looking for 12. Glucose and galactose are diastereomers of each other. That is true. Remember we said that galactose has its OH groups on 3, 4, and there to the left, whereas glucose usually has it on 5, 6 to the right. So those are diastereomers. Sorbitol is a derivative of the monosaccharide glucose and has the classification of an aldotol. So re what reagent would I treat glucose with to form sorbitol? You want a reduction reaction with NaBH4. And that's just when you take your glucose, draw out your Fischer diagram of what the glucose molecule looks like, and then in order to get it to an aldotol, and remember aldotol is the ionic form of that acid, you're going to have to get it something, right? You're going to have to give it more oxygen or whatever. And in this case, the only way to get it there is by adding hydrogen, which is consistent with the NaBH4. Uh, let's see, repeating unit of a polysaccharide hyaluronic acid is shown above. As shown, hyaluronic acid is made up of two different monosaccharides derivative. What class of monosaccharide derivative does monosaccharide A belong to? So you can see that it is an acid, and the only acid we have is aldonic acid or uronic acid, but you know that the difference between aldonic and uronic is that uronic is not charged. So the answer is uronic acid, um, and that makes sense because in its name it's hyaluronic acid. So, great. Um, Monosaccharide B, if monosaccharide A was the uronic acid, looking at monosaccharide B, you can see that there's a nitrogen group, an amine, it's directly connected to carbon 2, and we know that that is an amino sugar, so the answer is amino sugar. 
True or false? Only those polysaccharides with alpha linkages between the monosaccharide units can be broken down in the digestive system of humans and used for energy. True. So remember cellulose. Cellulose is a beta chain. Anything that has a beta on it is plant lig ligase stuff. You can't eat it. Uh, anything that has an alpha on it is fair game for our digestive system. If a polysaccharide has both 1,4 and 1,6 glycosidic linkages, then the polysaccharide will be branched in structure. True. If it's 1,4, it's in one direction. If it's 1,4 and 1,6, it's got branches. Uh, which of the following statements is false? Amylose has only 1,4 alpha linkages. Amylopectin has 1,4 and 1,6 alpha li linkages. Cellulose has only 1,4 alpha linkages. Glycogen has a branch structure. Or all of the above statements are true. The correct answer is cellulose has only 1,4 alpha linkages. It has only 1,4 beta linkages. Which of the following statements are false? Glycogen is the storage form for glucose. Glycogen is stored in the liver and the muscles. Glycogen has both 1,4 and 1,6 alpha linkages. Glycogen has a branch structure, or all of the above there are true. And all of those are true. Okay, cortisone is given to patients to fight inflammation in joints. Why are doctors sometimes hesitant to give cortisone to patients with diabetes? Well, cortisone is a glucocorticoid, right? So it's going to affect glucose and glycogen levels in the blood, and it could mess with their medications, or whatever their blood glucose is. What two lipids are found in the cell membranes of all cells? Cholesterol and phospholipids. So remember, the phospholipid bilayer is made up of its insides with cholesterol. Which of the following produces asthma-like symptoms in the lungs? Prostaglandins, testosterone, cortisol, leukotrienes, thromboxines, or aldosterone? Well, the answer is leukotrienes. Um, prostaglandins, testosterone, and cortisol are all, are all hormones with very distinct purposes. Thromboxane causes platelet aggregation. Aldosterone is a component of the kidneys, which retains sodium uh, and chlorine ions and reduces potassium. So the answer is leukotrienes, and those can also stimulate uh, histamine contractions in your lung muscles. Arthrosclerosis is a disease characterized by the buildup of plaque on blood vessel walls. What substance, when deposited, can initiate that plaque formation? Cholesterol. The inflammatory response to tissue damage causes redness and swelling in the area of the tissue injury and thus does more harm than good in the body. False. Inflammation is a way that your body gets the nutrients and the healing factors that it needs to that location as well as starts the immune response. HDL is a good lipoprotein because it picks up excess LDL and takes it to the liver for excretion. False. It picks up cholesterol, not LDL. LDL is the complex that carries cholesterol and triglycerides. But we don't care about triglycerides right now. Adipose tissue is a storage depot for triglycerides. What is the function of a triglyceride in the body? Energy. Packs punch. The structure of a phospholipid or a phosphoglyceride is shown above. There's a polar head containing the ester linkages, the phosphate group, glycerol, and alcohol group. The long fatty acid tail are hydrocarbon and nonpolar. Which statement is false concerning the arrangement of phospholipid molecules in the cell membrane? The polar head is always on the outer and inner edges of the membrane in contact with the extracellular and intracellular water. 
Well, we know that one's true because that's how you have a phospholipid bilayer. That's the whole point of the cell. Second, the nonpolar tail are always in the interior of the membrane away from the water. Well, that's just the second part of the first question. Protein molecules are embedded in the cell membrane. That is also true. Proteins um, act as transporters and signalers and all kinds of stuff within the cell membrane. The phospholipids are arranged in a single layer called a monolayer arrangement. Well, that's false because we know that it's a bilayer. So there's your false statement. Which of the following statements is false? Triglycerides with unsaturated fatty acids are liquid at room temperature and are called oils. That's true. Fatty acids have only an even number of carbons in their chain. That is also true. Steroid hormones consist of a four-ring structure. True. Triglycerides are three fatty acids and a glycerol joined together in ester linkages. So the answer is D. All of the above are true. I'm sorry, E. All of the above are true. What two lipids are found in the myelin sheath which coats nerve fibers, sphingomyelin and cerebrosides? Which of the following lipids are steroids? Testosterone, yes, that's a steroid. Prostaglandins, no, that's not a steroid. Aldosterone, yes, that is a steroid. Cholesterol, yes, that is a steroid. Bile salts, yes, regardless of what you think, yes, they are steroids. And then cortisol, yes, they are steroids. So all of the steroids have that stare in the word, except for bile salts um, and cortisol, so just use the S to remember that one. Which of the following questions is true about cholesterol? HDL stands for high density lipoprotein. That is correct. When a patient is diagnosed with high cholesterol, it really means the patient has high LDL levels. That is also correct. Cholesterol is not made in the body and must be taken in the one's diet. That is not correct. The liver makes cholesterol. High LDL levels can occur because of decreased receptor sites on peripheral cells. That can happen. Absolutely, that's true. Bile salts is the body's method for removing excess cholesterol. Also true. It emulsifies fats. When extracting lipids from other tissue for lipid research, water would be a good solvent. False. Like dissolves in like, so if you want to extract the thing uh, out of a tissue, it's going to need to go into a lipid. So that is false. Aldosterone is, aldosterone is synthesized in the adrenal gland and exerts its effect on the kidney. That's true. Um, prostaglandins are a vital part of the inflammatory response to tissue injury. True. Okay. So here we have a lovely amino acid. It looks like there's a protein with some charged side groups, and the question tells us that it's being held at a pH of 7. So here we can see that the net overall charge is positive. Um, and there are only two negatives. So there are five positives and two negatives. So because that pH 7, the overall is the overall charge is positive, so that means that our isoelectric point is going to be higher than 7, because you're going to have to keep dumping a whole bunch of OH negatives in there, and OH makes it obviously basic. So positive is high, so you can just think of like anything higher with a positive is going to be greater than 7, anything that's negative is going to be lower than 7. Amino acid R chains do not contain nonpolar groups, well, of course they do, charged groups, 
Nope, also contain those. Polar groups and nitrogen groups. So the only answer that makes sense is amino acid R chains contain all of the above. The repeating units of protein in the main chain are made up of what three atoms? A carbonyl carbon, an alpha carbon with the R groups attached, and an oxygen? Nope, because you already said the carbonyl carbon. Carbonyl carbon, an alpha carbon with the R groups attached, and a sulfur? Nope, that's um, a secondary or tertiary bonding. Carbonyl carbon, an alpha carbon with an OH attached, and a nitrogen? Well, no. Um, a carbonyl carbon, an aldehyde carbon, and a nitrogen? closer, but we're missing the alpha carbon with the R groups. So this one's, so the correct answer is a carbonyl carbon, an alpha carbon with R groups attached, and a nitrogen. At the isoelectric point where proteins have no net charges, the protein generally will precipitate from solution because they have no net charge and no longer repel each other. A peptide bond is, in reality, what type of bond? It's an amide bond because it's between a carbonyl carbon and a nitrogen. Not to be confused with the secondary structure, which is based on hydrogen bonding, right? So remember, alpha helixes are based on the NH to um, CO bond, so that's a hydrogen bond, whereas in the primary structure, it's an amide bond because it's with the carbonyl carbon and the nitrogen itself. When a protein is denatured, it usually precipitates from solution and loses its function. If there is a change in the protein's amino acid sequence, it could affect which of the following? Primary structure, secondary structure, tertiary structure, or quaternary structure? Well, the answer is all of the above, because if you change the primary, all of the subsequent would be affected. Um, so here we're given an image of a three-dimensional structure of a protein. We've got a couple alpha, alpha helixes, a couple sheets, and it's a squiggly mess. Um, so because it's a big squiggly mess, we know that it is a tertiary structure, because if they had just shown us the alpha helix or the beta pleated sheet, that would have been our secondary, but because it's a nice combination of all of the above, we know it's tertiary. And because it's only one, we know it's a, not a quaternary structure. Knowing the physical properties of collagen, how do these properties relate to its functions in the tendons? Well, collagen is super strong, and tendons need to be strong and inflexible so that our bones don't so, you know, so that our muscles don't tear out of our bones and prevent us from being able to lift anything. Um, okay, so here we get the same version of the squiggly protein, and the question is, also shown are two secondary structures, A and B, so which is true? So A is labeled as a lovely alpha helix, and B is labeled as a lovely beta sheet, and that is answer D. Why must elastin be flexible? Elastin attaches bone to bone, or the ligaments, and must be flexible to move when the bones move. So elastin needs to stretch and return so that we have a nice full range of motion. The secondary structure of collagen is the alpha helix. False. It is the triple helix. Because the secondary structures, alpha helix, beta pleated sheets, etc., are part of the tertiary structure of a protein, it is not possible to disrupt the secondary structure without disrupting the tertiary structure. That is true. They are all built upon each other. When a protein is formed, the only charges are at the two terminal ends of the protein and nowhere else in the molecule. Well, that's not right because the R groups can be charged. It is true that the ter two terminal ends of the protein will have charges, and that's the only part of the primary structure. So, you know, like within that little linear chain, 
there won't be any charges. But the R groups will definitely have charges, and those will be stuck all over the place. The alpha helix is held together by hydrogen bonding between the carbonyl oxygen and the hydrogen on the amine group. And remember, they point in opposite directions to pick up that hydrogen bond. When a protein is denatured, it usually precipitates out of solution. That is true. Um, so here we have a whole collection of polypeptides and shapes. And they ask you to say, okay, when you drop this polypeptide into water, what shape will it produce? And you can notice in the polypeptide that all of its R groups are nonpolar, so they're not charged, and there's a whole bunch of CH groups in there. So you know that if you drop it into water, those groups are probably going to want to go to band together and get away from the water. And the only shape that looks like that is B, which is like a little, a little semicircle bubble of R groups um, running away from the water. Uh, and it'll form the shape because all those groups are nonpolar and will group together to stay away from the water. Cool. And that is a hydrophobic interaction. At a neutral pH of around 7, a free amino acid exists as a charged species called a Twitter ion. Okay, in this question we're shown um, two reagents. And in the first reagent we can see a ketose is being transferred to one of the reagents and results in a new product. So it's like we're, we're grabbing a bit of the first agent and sticking it on the second agent and that becomes our new set of products in the reaction. Um, so this would be a transferase because we're grabbing a bit and we're sticking it onto another bit and back and forth. In this reaction we're shown an ethanol and acetaldehyde. You can see in the ethanol that um, the oxygen is, so it goes from just a straight ethanol to a double bond between the carbon and the oxygen as part of the aldehyde, so it becomes a COH. Um, and that is going to be using, um, it's going to be adding an oxygen, so that's an oxidoreductase. Whoops, I'm sorry, you're losing the hydrogen from the carbon and that's going to be an oxidation. So losing the hydrogen, oxidoreductase. In this case, uh, we see a sucrose molecule, and we see that we're adding water to it to result in splitting it into its component parts of glucose and fructose. So we know that that's going to be a hydrolase because it involves water. For an enzyme reaction where the substrate concentration is greater the enzyme concentration, something always decreases with time. The substrate concentration will always decrease, the product will always increase, and the rate is always constant if the enzyme concentration is held constant. So, If we hold enzyme concentration, something that always decreases with time will be the substrate concentration. If we have 200 enzyme molecules and 10,000 substrate molecules in an enzymatic reaction, which statement is true? The rate will depend solely on the substrate concentration. No, substrate doesn't care. The rate will depend on both the substrate concentration and the enzyme concentration. Nope, because the substrate's in excess, so we don't really care. The rate will depend solely on the regulator. Well, what regulator? Or the rate will depend solely on the enzyme concentration. 
blammo, there you go. So the only one that's going to be making a difference in this reaction is the enzyme concentration. There are 200 enzyme molecules and 10,000 substrate molecules in an enzymatic reaction. If we add 100 inhibitor molecules and they inhibit by non-competitive inhibition, they're going to take 100 of those original enzyme molecules out of commission and we're going to drop our rate by half, and that's answer A. There are 200 enzyme molecules and 10,000 substrate molecules in an enzymatic reaction. If we add 200 inhibitor molecu molecules and they inhibit by competitive inhibition, there's not going to be a change, right? There's almost a 50 to 1 ratio between the substrate and the, comp the competitor. So basically all the substrate will still be able to outcompete the, the inhibitor and make it to the enzymes. So the rough will stay very close to the same. If the temperature and pH are held constant and the substrate concentration is much greater than the enzyme concentration, will the reaction rate change over time? No, because you're holding your enzyme concentration stable. And substrate always decreases, the product always increases, but the rate stays the same, as long as that enzyme concentration is the same. If the temperature and pH are held constant and the substrate concentration is much greater than the enzyme concentration, will the amount of product change over time? Yes, it will increase. So here we have a pyruvate and an oxaloacetate, uh, and, we'll be, and we can see that we're adding carbon dioxide to the pyruvate, and you can see the number of carbons change in the oaxoalitate. So in that case, we're combining two molecules, the pyruvate and the carbon dioxide, into a new product, oaxalosit oxaloacetate? God, I suck at these. So it's going to be a ligase, because we're combining two. Which of the following statements is true about enzymes? The protein portion of an enzyme is called the proenzyme. False. That's called an apoenzyme. An increase in temperature in an enzyme reaction always increases the rate of reaction. False. It can decrease the rate if above the optimal temperature of around 50-ish degrees Celsius. An increase in substrate concentration always increases the rate of an enzymatic reaction. False. If the substrate is much larger than the enzyme, increasing the substrate concentration even more doesn't change anything. The enzyme is still going to do what the enzyme is going to do. Ligases generally join two molecules together, while lyases generally split them in two. That is true. In an allosteric enzyme, the regulator can cause an increase or decrease in the enzyme activity. Also true. It can be a positive or a negative mod modulator. In an enzyme reaction at constant temperature and pH, what one thing in the reaction will always increase with time? The product, right? So remember, substrate in decreases, the product increases, and the rate is constant so long as the enzymatic concentration is held constant. There are 200 enzyme molecules and 10,000 substrate molecules in an enzyme reaction. If we add 200 inhibitor molecules, would the reaction rate be affected more if the inhibitor acted by A, competitive, or B, non-competitive inhibition? And the answer is B, non-competitive inhibition. If it were competitive, the ratio of substrate to inhibitor would be 50 to 1 and have very little effect on the rate. In non-competitive inhibition, all 200 enzymes would be tied up with those inhibitors and reduce the rate to zero. Isoenzymes are two enzymes which have a primary structure but catalyze different reactions. False. It's actually just the other way around. Isoenzymes are two enzymes that have very different primary structures but catalyze the same reaction. Um, last one. 
So we're shown a feedback inhibition mechanism. So we show A to B is catalyzed by E1, B to C is catalyzed by E2, C to D is catalyzed by E3. And at the end, we can see that D directly operates on E1, limiting production. The question is asked, in the above feedback mechanism, when the concentration of D is low, the reaction rate of A to B increases. Explain. So this shows A is the substrate, whereas product D acts as an inhibitor. When D is large, E1 is inhibited, and A cannot bind to E1 to proceed through its reaction at its max rate. When D is low, A to D ratio is higher, and A can bind to E1 and proceed in its max rate. Okay, so some general updates, or general review here. Carbohydrates are classified as monosaccharides, disaccharides, and polysaccharides. Monosaccharides include glucose, galactose, fructose, they're drawn as Fischer projections, and the cyclic Hayworth structures. Monosaccharides can form glycosidic bonds and then are classified as disaccharides, which include maltose, lactose, and sucrose. They can also be reducing sugars. Polysaccharides are polymers of glucose and they're found in plants as amylose, amylopectin, and cellulose, and they're stored in animals as glycogen. Carbohydrates are classified um, as simple sugars, which are monosaccharides, disaccharides, or polysaccharides. Monosaccharides are polyhydroxyaldehydes, aldoses, or ketones. Monosaccharides can also be classified by their number of carbon atoms, triose, tetrose, pentose, or hexose. In a D enantiomer, the OH group is on the right of the carbon carb chiral carbon farthest from the carbonyl group. The OH group is on the left in the L enantiomer. Important monosaccharides are the aldohexoses, glucose and galactose, and the ketohexose, fructose. The predominant form of a monosaccharide is a ring of four to six atoms. The cyclic structure forms when an OH group, usually the one on the carbon five and hexose, reacts with the carbonyl group of the same molecule. The formation of a new hydroxyl group on carbon one gives alpha and beta anomers of the cyclic monosaccharide. The aldehyde group in an aldose can be oxidized to carboxylic acid, while the carbonyl group in an aldose or a ketose can be reduced to give a hydroxyl group. Monosaccharides that are reducing sugars have an aldehyde group in the open chain that can be oxidized. Disaccharides are two monosaccharide units joined together by a glycosidic bond. In the common disaccharide, maltose, lactose, and sucrose, there's at least one glucose unit. Maltose and lactose form alpha and beta anomers, which makes them reducing sugars. Sucrose does not have alpha and beta anomers and is not a reducing sugar. Polysaccharides are polymers of monosaccharide units. Amylose is an unbranched chain of glucose with an alpha-1,4 glycosidic bond, and amylopectin is a branched polymer of glucose with alpha-1,4 and alpha-1,6 glycosidic bonds. Glycogen is similar to amylopectin, but with more branching. Cellulose is also a polymer of glucose, but in cellular, the glycosidic bonds are beta-1,4 bonds. Summary of reaction. So, I don't know how to do this. Just review page 575 because I don't know how to describe that. Okay, lipids contain fatty acids and steroid nucleus. In the fatty acids with glycerol, they become triacyl triacylglycerols or triglycerides. 
These are found in fats and oils. They can be unsaturated or saturated based on the process of hydrogenation, and they undergo hydrolysis to create alcohols and fatty acids or saponification to create alcohols and salts of fatty acids or soaps. Fatty acids with 20 carbon atoms are called prostaglandins. Fatty acids with long chain alcohols are called waxes. Fatty acids with glycerol or sphingosine phosphate and amino alcohols become phospholipids, and they have polar and nonpolar parts found in the lipid bilayer of cell membranes. Steroid nucleus are found in cholesterol, bile salts, and steroid hormones. Lipids are nonpolar compounds that are not soluble in water. Classes of lipids include waxes, triglycerides, glycerose, oh god, that's bad, glycerophospholipids, sphingolipids, and steroids. Fatty acids are unbranched carboxylic acids that typically contain an even number of carbon atoms. A wax is an ester of a long-chain fatty acid and a long-chain alcohol. Triglycerides are esters of glycerol with three long-chain fatty acids. Fats contain more saturated fatty acids and have a higher melting point than most vegetable oils. The hydrogenation of unsaturated fatty acids of triglycerol converts, like triglycerides, convert double bonds to single bonds. The hydrolysis of the ester bonds and triglycerols in the presence of strong acid produces glycerol and fatty acids. In saponification, a triacycloglycerol heated with a strong base produces glycerol and the salts of fatty acid, or soap. Glycerophospholipids are esters of glycerol with two fatty acids and a phosphate group attached to an ionized amino acid. In sphingomyelin, the amino alcohol sphingosine forms an amide bond with a fatty acid and the phosphoester bonds to phosphate and an ionized amino alcohol. Steroids are lipids containing the steroid nucleus, which is a fused structure of four rings. Steroids include cholesterol, bile salts, and steroid hormones. Just remember to look for the S-T-E-R or the S within um, the names. Lipids, which are nonpolar, are transported through aqueous environments of the blood by forming lipoproteins. Bile salts, which are synthesized from cholesterol, mix with water and soluble fats and break them apart during digestion. Lipoproteins, such as chylomicrons and LDL, transport triglycerides from the intestines and the liver to fat cells and muscles for storage and energy. HDL transport cholesterol from the tissues to the liver for elimination. The steroid hormones are closely related in structure to cholesterol and depend on cholesterol for their synthesis. The sex hormones, such as estrogen and testosterone, are responsible for sexual characteristics and reproduction. The adrenal corticosteroids, such as aldosterone and cortisone, regulate water balance and glucose in the cells, respectively. All animal cells are surrounded by a semi-permeable membrane that separates the cellular contents from the external fluids. The membrane is composed of two rows of phospholipids in the lipid bilayer. Proteins and cholesterols are embedded in the lipid bilayer and carbohydrates are attached to its surface. Nutrients and waste products move through the cell membrane using passive transport or diffusion, facilitated transport, or active transport. The summary of reactions for this chapter is esterification, which is glycerol plus three fatty acid molecules under enzymatic action resulting in a triglyceride with three water molecules. Hydrogenation of triglycerides, which is a triglyceraldehyde unsaturated with plus H2, nickel, so under nickel conditions, resulting in a saturated triglyceride. 
hydrolysis of triglycerides, which is the triglyceride plus three water under H plus or lipase to go to glycerol and three fatty acid molecules. Saponification of triglycerides, which is a triglyceride plus three NaOH under heat to result in glycerol plus three sodium salts of fatty acids or soap. Uh, let's see, we've got some key terms in here. Prostaglandins, a number of compounds derived from arachnidonic acid that regulate several physiological processes. And uh, let's see, the other one you got wrong was monosaturated fatty acid is just a fatty acid with one double bond. So, and remember in the phospholipid, glycerophospholipid molecule, the second carbon must have a double bond. Key. Proteins. Proteins contain amino acids that have ammonium, carboxylate, and R groups. They form zwitterions at their isoelectric point. Proteins contain peptide bonds between amino acids in a specific order we know as the primary structure, and hydrogen bonding as the secondary structure, with interactions that give tertiary and quaternary structures. Proteins undergo hydrolysis to give amino acids or denaturation when proteins change their second, third, or fourth degree shape. From heat, acids, and bases, organic compounds, heavy metal ions, or agitation. Some proteins are enzymes or hormones, whereas others are important in structure, transport, protection, storage, and muscle contraction. A group of 20 amino acids provides the molecular building blocks of proteins. Attached to the central alpha carbon of each amino acid are a hydrogen atom, an ammonium group, a carboxylate group, and a unique R group. The R group gives an amino acid the property of being nonpolar, polar, acidic, or basic. Amino acids exist as positive ions at pH values below their pI values and as negative ions at pH values above their pI values. Yeah, don't worry about that. If you see a bunch of positives, you know it's basic. It's going to be above 7. If you see a bunch of negatives, you know it's going to be acidic and below 7. I find this other explanation very confusing. Um, peptides form when an amide bond links the carboxylic acid of one amino acid and the ammonium group of a second amino acid. Long chains of amino acids that are biologically active are called proteins. The primary structure of a protein is in its sequence of amino acids joined by peptides bonds. Peptides are named for the N-terminus by replacing the last syllable of each amino acid name with YL followed by the amino acid name of the C-terminus. Amino acid sequences can be determined by examining overlapping peptide fragments. In the secondary structure, hydrogen bonds between atoms in the peptide bonds produce a characteristic shape such as an alpha helix or a beta pleated sheet. The most abundant form of protein in the body is, co is collagen, which is composed of fibrils of triple helices that are hydrogen bonded. In globular proteins, the polypeptide chain, including alpha helical and beta pleated sheet regions, folds up on itself to form a tertiary structure. A tertiary structure is stabilized by interactions that push amino acids with hydrophobic residues to the center and pull amino acids with hydrophilic residues to the surface, and by interactions between amino acids with residues that form hydrogen bonds, disulfide bonds, and salt bridges. In a quaternary structure, two or more tertiary subunits are joined together for biological activity, held by the same interactions found in tertiary structures. Hydrolysis of a protein occurs when peptide bonds in a primary structure are broken by enzyme action to produce amino acids. Denaturation of a protein destroys the secondary, tertiary, or quaternary structures of a protein with a loss of biological activity. Denaturation is caused by high temperatures, acids or bases, 
organic compounds, metal ions, or agitation. Um, uh, disulfide bonds are the covalent S-to-S bond that forms between the S-H groups of the two cysteines in a protein which stabilizes the tertiary and quaternary structures. I erroneously referred to that as a salt bridge. That is not what I meant. Disulfide bridge. Okay, enzymes and vitamins. So enzymes are proteins with tertiary or quaternary structures that have an active site that fits the substrate to form an ES complex. The enzymes have activity that can be affected by pH, temperature, concentration, inhibitors, and they can be controlled by allosteric enzymes, feedback control, zymogens, or covalent modifications. Enzymes may need cofactors such as metal ions, vitamins, which are water-soluble or fat-soluble. When an enzyme fits a substrate to form an ES complex, it creates an EP complex to form an E plus product. I'm not sure why that's in there, but they keep emphasizing it, so there you go. Enzymes are globular proteins that act as biological catalysts by lowering activation energy and accelerating the rate of cellular reactions. Within the tertiary structure of an enzyme, a small pocket called the active site binds the substrate. In the lock and key model, an early theory of enzyme action, a substrate precisely fits the shape of the active site. In the induced fit model, both the active site and the substrate undergo changes in their shape to give the best fit for efficient catalysis. In the enzyme-substrate complex, catalysis takes place when the amino acid residues in the active site of an enzyme react with a substrate. When the products of catalysis are released, the enzyme can bind to another substrate molecule. The names of most enzymes ending, ending in ACE describe the compound or reaction catalyzed by the enzyme. Enzymes are classified by the type of the reaction they catalyze, such as oxidoreductase, transferase, or isomerase. The optimum temperature at which most enzymes are effective is usually 37 degrees Celsius, and the optimum pH is usually 7.4. The rate of an enzyme-catalyzed reaction decreases as temperature or pH go above or below the optimum temperature and pH values. An increase in the enzyme concentration increases the rate of reaction. An increase in substrate concentration increases the rate of an enzyme-catalyzed reaction, but a maximum rate is reached when all the enzyme molecules are combined with the substrate. Allosteric enzymes change their activity when they bind to regulator molecules. In feedback control, the end product of an enzyme-catalyzed reaction acts as a negative regulator and binds with the first enzyme of the reaction sequence. Covalent modification regulates enzymes by adding or removing a covalently bonded group. Insulin and most digestive enzymes are produced as inactive forms called zymogens. Productions of zymogens and phosphorylations are types of covalent modification. An inhibitor reduces the activity of an enzyme or makes it inactive. An inhibitor can be reversible or irreversible. A competitive inhibitor has a structure similar to the substrate and competes for the active site. When the active site is occupied, the enzyme cannot catalyze the reaction of the substrate. A non-competitive inhibitor attaches to the enzyme away from the active site, changing the shape of both the enzyme and its active site. An irreversible inhibitor forms a covalent bond within the active site that permanently prevents catalytic activity. Some enzymes are biologically active as proteins only, where other enzymes require a non-protein component called a cofactor. A cofactor may be a metal ion, such as a copper 2+, or iron 2+, ion, or an organic molecule or a vitamin called a coenzyme. A vitamin is a small organic molecule needed for health and normal growth that is obtained in small amounts from the diet. The water-soluble 
vitamins are B and C, and they function as coenzymes. Vitamin B is essential for the workings of certain enzymes in the body, and vitamin C is an antioxidant. The fat-soluble vitamins are A, D, E, K, naked. Vitamin A is important for vision, vitamin D for proper bone growth, vitamin E is an antioxidant, and vitamin K is required for proper blood clotting. Antioxidants neutralize the highly reactive oxygen-free free radicals generated during oxidative processes. Enzymes are biological catalysts that lower the activation energy and accelerate the rate of cellular reactions. Within the tertiary structure of an enzyme, a small pocket called the active site binds the substrate. In the induced fit model of enzyme action, the active site and the substrate change their shapes for efficient catalysis. When the products of catalysis are released, the enzyme can bind to another substrate molecule. Uh, I think the rest of it's pretty, pretty easy. Okay, you're all done. Good job.